Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, only you are holy. Only you are worthy. You alone are the faithful one. You alone are the one who is true. We've gathered as your people today, as your church, to come before you to say, we love you, we bow before you, and we're desperate to hear your voice today. There are those in this room, I, I hope I'm included, that would say we're desperate to hear from the Lord. And so, Father, we, we open this word, your holy scriptures, with reverence and awe, but also a hopeful expectation that you'll show us wondrous things out of your law today. Uh, it's there. It's there in the text. It's you, the, the marvelous wonder of your word hasn't gone anywhere, but, but yet our hearts need to be illuminated today. And so would you turn on the light switch of our hearts that we would understand, that we would receive, that we would trust and obey your word today. Thank you for your reveal, revealing yourself to us. You've revealed yourself through creation. You've revealed yourself through, through your son. And you've revealed yourself through your holy scriptures. Help us to see you today. Open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, please turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It's found on page 827 in the pew Bibles that are provided to you. Page 827, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 11 through 22. We'll be focusing on verses 19 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. Before I begin, I just want to uh, remind you who I am. I'm Matthew Nicosia, the children's ministry director here at VBC Kids at Valley Bible Church. I'm honored to be on staff here and get to serve all of you and partner along with you to pass on the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a coming generation. And that is an awesome, awesome privilege. I'm here in the pulpit again today because our, our pastor, uh, Pastor Phil Howard, is still sick. Um, he's recovering slowly but surely, but I got a call Wednesday that he just still was not uh, well enough to begin preparing and to uh, be able to preach this morning. And so I'm filling in for him again. Please continue to keep him in your prayers. But we're starting this week, as you heard from the announcements, we're starting a, a new season of small groups. And in case you don't know what small groups are, are here at Valley Bible Church, they're an opportunity for us to go beyond this very large setting where we've got people that are sitting, you know, I don't know, probably, you know, a couple hundred feet away from each other. Uh, and we can actually get into a space that's a little bit smaller with a few people and we can connect with each other. And we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And we could do a lot of the things that you would do uh, in church that you can't necessarily always do in a large setting like this. And so we call them small groups. That's what they are. Uh, we don't take glory in the fact that they're small, but, but for the fact of what can happen in a small group that can't necessarily happen in a large group. And so uh, we're starting a new season of uh, small groups as you leave today. Hopefully one of your New Year's resolutions is that you want to grow in Jesus Christ. That you want to know Him more deeply. That you want to obey Him more fervently. <laughs> that you want to enjoy Him more passionately. And uh, I hope that that's your, your, one of your goals, is it should be every year. One of the ways that we believe that you could do that is by being a part of a small group. 
so that others can be a part of that process of God transforming and conforming you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And so as, you, as you're dismissed today, if you've not signed up for a small group, you could do that again today. Today's the last day we're going to have small uh, sign-ups in the lobby. You could always join a group that's already in session if you want down the road. All kinds of groups. But the majority of our groups are going to be covering something for the next six weeks related to being a part of the church or being a member of the church, and not just a member at Valley Bible Church, because not all of us are, are necessarily members by title, but we're talking more in terms of what does it mean to be a member of God's church with a big C, and then what does God want me to do as a part of this local assembly at Valley Bible Church? So we've got a couple of books that we're going to be taking a look at, and these books are not perfect. They're not the Bible, but they'll help us understand the Bible. And what does the Bible say about being a member of a church? And so this first one is by Tom Rainer. The second one actually is also by Tom Rainer. But the first one is called Connected, My Life in the Church. And this is the book that we'll predominantly uh, be using. The uh, second book is uh, another small book called I Am a Church Member. And what he does, what Tom Rainer does, I, I love his stuff. I've read a few of his books. But what he does is he helps us get a grasp on where is the church, especially in the United States today, and how can we be better about looking more like the church that Jesus Christ wants us to look like as revealed in the pages of the New Testament. And so this book is going to be really helpful for us in our small groups to work together and talk with each other and pray with each other and challenge each other. How can I be a better member of Jesus' church? And how can I be better at being a member and a participant at Valley Bible Church. Hopefully you ask yourself that question. What does God want from me at my church? What does God want from me at my church? How should I view, view my involvement at my church? Lots of people have expectations on me. You had an expectation this morning that you needed to roll out of bed, probably take a shower and brush your teeth, put some clothes on, and show up here today. Now, hopefully, most of you did that because you could not wait to meet with Jesus and meet with Jesus' people. But there are some of you here today, and you know what? It's okay that you're here because you knew, I need to be at church. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> and there are other things that you know, I should be doing this or I shouldn't be doing that. But we have expectations, don't we? But what is God's expectation upon us? What does God want us to be doing as a member of the church? What does church membership mean? When you, when you hear the word membership, what comes to your mind? Maybe you think of, 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 of membership as something like you're joining a gym or you're signing up to join a country club. Or maybe you're thinking of your membership of when you need to go and buy huge volumes of stuff and you pull out your Costco card because you have a Costco membership. But, but what comes along with that membership is that you pay your dues to whatever organization that is, you pay your dues so that you can enjoy the benefits of being a part of that membership. Whether it's a country club or the gym or that Costco membership gives you the benefits of buying things at wholesale, right? That's the benefit. And so sometimes we think of membership, being a part of a church is the sense where I pay dues, therefore I get to enjoy the benefits of the organization. And, and so Tom Reiner, uh, Tom Rainer, excuse me, uh, he talks about that a little bit. And I just wanted to highlight for you just for a moment 
so that we could raise the question here, what does it mean to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ? And so uh, in his little book here, I'm a church member, he talks about it this way. He says, membership in his mind, and he's talking about specifically like a country club membership, says membership means perks. Membership means privileges. Membership means others will serve me. Just pay the going rate and you can have others taking care of you while you enjoy a life of leisure. And tragically, this understanding of membership is what many church members hold. This is my church. So you have to play the music just the way I want it. This is my church. So, pastor, you need to remember who pays your salary. <laughs> Look, if you don't do this or that program, I'll withhold my check to the church. I've been a member of this church for over 30 years, so I have the right to get what I want. Hey, look, I don't pay good money to this church to listen to sermons that long. <laughs> right? Like that one, right? <laughs> uh, all right, you, you get the picture. Those, unfortunately, an unbiblical view of membership. For them, membership is about receiving instead of giving. Being served instead of serving. Rights instead of responsibilities and entitlements instead of sacrifices. This wrongful view of membership sees the tithes and offerings as membership dues that entitle members to a never-ending list of privileges and expectations instead of an unconditional, cheerful gift to God. So what does the Bible say about church membership? I'm glad you've asked. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to, uh, excuse me, 11 to 22. Follow along as I read aloud. Again, it's on page 827. And what Paul is doing in these verses is he's writing a remarkable description of the Ephesians' new identity in Jesus Christ. But the emphasis here on this identity is not necessarily the, the identity of an individual. Rather, it's on the identities of everyone corporately that he's writing to. He's writing to a church in Ephesus. And what he wants them to understand that their corporate identity is their sharing in something new and profound found in the church. God has done something brand new in the church to change our identity. Follow along as I read aloud, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. 
He came and preached peace to, those, to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we have both access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here we're given a new identity, and not just an individual identity, as important as that is, but the emphasis here for Paul is that he wants you to understand the identity of all God's people corporately. You see, in, 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 in the Bible, and in, in, the, in the Greek language, there are two, several words for the word you, and one of them is singular, as in you, and I'm talking to you individually. And then there's another word that talks about you, you all, and, and we don't really use that unless you're from the South. And then you say, y'all, say it with me, y'all, right? And if you're from where my family's from in the Ohio River Valley, which I just read something recently, less than 1% of the population says this, but we're a very unique people. Instead of y'all, it's yins. And it sounds really goofy coming out of my mouth, but that's what we say. We say yins, right? And so uh, yins, or you all, that's who Paul is addressing. He wants to establish a new identity, not just for you individually, as important that is, but for yins, for y'all. Say it with me one more time. Y'all. That's pretty good for uh, Bay Area in California, right? If you're from the South, forgive me for my pathetic accent, but y'all. Well, what does Paul want y'all to know about your new identity, about this membership, about this, this uh, being a part of this group called the church? He wants you to know three things about your identity, y'all. He wants you to know that you are citizens. Secondly, he wants you to know that you are members of a family. And then thirdly, he wants you to know that you all or y'all a building. Let's take a look at the first. You all are citizens. Verse 19 of Ephesians 2 again says, consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but y'all are fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Citizens, citizens, Fellow citizens, together, you all together are citizens, and you're members of a new socio and political unit. There's something different about this. You've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the kingdom of Satan, and you've been transferred in as new citizens of the kingdom of light of Jesus Christ. You belong as a fellow citizen of God's people. And he says there, he reminds you that you used to be foreigners and you used to be strangers. But that, that's not true of you anymore. In fact, he said the same sort of thing back in chapter 2, verses 12 to 13, if you want to look there again. It says, remember that at that time, before you came to Christ, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God 
in the world. You were, you were foreigners. You were outsiders. You didn't get to enjoy the benefits of being a citizen of a certain nation. And that nation was Israel. You see, all the way through the Old Testament, God had a plan to redeem sinners. But his plan started out with a nation. It went to a nation that people were Israel. And for those of us who were not Jewish, those of us who weren't Israel, Israelites, we were excluded. We did not have the citizenship. We didn't have the birthright. We didn't have the right ancestry. Therefore, we were excluded, outsiders, shut out from the great privileges of being a citizen of God's kingdom. But verse 13 of Ephesians 2 says, But now, in Christ Jesus... You who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And as verse 19 says, you become fellow citizens with God's people. All of the promises of salvation, of forgiveness, of hope, of a kingdom, of eternal life, of love, of peace, of righteousness, of justice, you once were shut out, you were once foreigners and aliens, but now through Jesus Christ, you are citizens of the kingdom. That's good news. So being a member of Christ's church first and foremost means from this text is that you're a citizen of a brand new country, a citizen of King Jesus. Turn over, if you would, with me to Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 20. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 20. Just to get a better picture of where our citizenship is now that we're in Christ, for those of us who are in Christ. Philippians chapter 3, 17 says, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you, you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But... Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Paul is saying, look, you got to understand something. And see, it, in, in Philippi, it was very important. Citizenship was, was valuable. They had Roman citizenship. But Paul is saying, and just like he's saying in our text in Ephesians, you've got a new citizenship, and it goes beyond anything that you could experience in this world because this citizenship is in heaven. It's eternal. It's glorious. It's infinite because you belong to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. But this citizenship has immense privileges, great, great privileges. But it also comes with great responsibilities. Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3, and we see it in Ephesians 2, just as you've been called a citizen of this new kingdom, walk in a manner that's worthy of that citizenship. Walk in a way that honors the fact that I no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. I've been transferred into a new kingdom, and my citizenship is in the kingdom of the light of Jesus Christ. I have here with me my passport. As the second passport, 
at least I think, the second passport that I've owned in my lifetime. And, and this passport's all right, but it's fairly new. But I had a passport, the first one that I got uh, when I was around 18 or 19 years old. It was really cool because I had some really great stamps in there. And that's one of the fun things to do when, when you travel and you just can go back and look and remember and reminisce about all the cool places that you've been. And so this passport that I used to have had great stamps from Great Britain, uh, England, Scotland, uh, the Netherlands, uh, I, I got to travel to Israel, I got to go to the island of Crete in Greece, I got to go into the Sinai Peninsula in Egypt, uh, I think I took a trip to Mexico and, and some other stuff, it was just really cool. And so what I'd do is I'd take that passport and I'd look through it and it was like, man, what's some really cool memories. But one thing about this passport made it very important for me is that no matter where I went, no matter what country I went to, I was a citizen of the United States of America. And so no matter where I went, my devotion and my allegiance, while I had to honor the law of the country that I was in, my devotion and my allegiance was to the United States of America. And I love it when our Olympians, and we're going to get to see the Winter Olympics next, next month, I love it when they get on the podium, when they win a medal, and those gold medal winners, and, and you get to hear the star-spangled banner. And there they are in a foreign country because they won that gold medal, and they get to show their allegiance to their country that they competed for. In the same way, friends, we have been given a citizenship of heaven. And, and we don't have a physical passport, but I believe, friends, it's the seal of the Holy Spirit on our hearts that reminds us and tells us over and over again, friend, you may live in this world, you may vote in this world, you may work in this world, but you've got a citizenship that goes beyond this world and it's laid up in heaven for you. Therefore, therefore, walk in a manner worthy of the citizenship that you have. Being a member of the church of Jesus Christ means that we have immense privileges as citizens of the king, of the kingdom of God. But that comes with great responsibility. Let me ask you, we are people first and foremost of God's country. Are you living like you belong to God's country? What country is most precious to you? Is it the here and the now, or is it the one that you've been ushered into with a new citizenship through Jesus Christ? Our allegiance lies first and foremost with our home country, the kingdom of God. Are you devoted to it? Do you pledge your allegiance to it through prayer, through commitment, through obedience to King Jesus? One of the greatest responsibilities of being a member of the church of Jesus Christ is that we act in a way that says, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God, first and foremost. So being a member means that we're citizens of a new country. Well, secondly, it means that we're also members of a new family. Again, look at verse 19 of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. Members of his household. That's, that's family language. My household are my wife and kids. That's my household. And by extension, my extended family. You know, I, I took a trip this last week up to Redding, California. I don't go there in the summer because it's too hot. I'm happy to go there in the winter, no problem at all. <laughs> so we were visiting my, my wife's family. And we were up there, and, and my father-in-law and I, we were joking around a little bit because we had to decide, well, when are the, the presents going to be 
open. And I'm just like, man, still presents. It's like past New Year. But, you know, the cousins and the aunts and uncles, they got to give out presents and stuff. And, you know, there was a vote. Well, should we do it now or should we do it this afternoon? And my vote was for this afternoon. But then I was like, but wait a minute. My vote only counts for half. <laughs> you see, I, I'm married into the family. I, I don't really share the DNA of all, all that you have. And my father-in-law joked, he said, yeah, get your other two brothers-in-law and your vote counts for one and a half, the three of us. You know, and he kind of said it with a smile on his face, and I love him. He's treated me like, like an authentic son. It's been wonderful. But there's something different about being family. Something different about being family. Something different about having that name on your back. Something different about having that blood throwing, flowing through your veins. And so part of being a member of the church of Jesus Christ means that we are members of his household. We're treated as blood relatives. Indeed, the New Testament teaches that we have his seed in us, his DNA in us. This extends both to our, our immediate families and our extended families, but we are a new household in Jesus Christ. And look at the benefit that comes from being in that household. Look at verse 18 of Ephesians 2. It says, For through him, through Jesus, we both have access to the Father, by one spirit. What a Trinitarian verse right there. Just noticing that. For through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Amazing. Full access to God the Father. Friends, if you don't know the gospel, the gospel shows us and reveals to us the righteousness of God. That in order to have Full access to God, it took the Son of God putting on human flesh and in dying as a sacrifice for our sins just to make a way so that we could have full access to God. But when you're a family member, there is no need to pay any dues. There's no need to knock at the door and say, is now a good time? He says, as family you have full access to the Father. Do you have full access today? Is, or, or have you allowed sin to, to get in the way? You've never put your faith in Christ. Today, friend, you can have full access to the Father if you would just say, I want to turn from my sin, and I'm coming through Jesus. But that's the family privilege that's the family privilege of being in this household, direct access to the Father. Well, being in this household means that we're in a new family. And what comes along with being a in a family comes responsibilities, responsibilities, things that I should be doing as a member of the household. Just to illustrate it briefly, if you would please turn to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 8. I won't stay here long because as you start reading this, you may be scratching your head wondering, why in the world are we reading this? But hopefully you'll get a better understanding of what it means about being in a household. What are the responsibilities that come with that? 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 8, Paul is giving some uh, closing remarks to Timothy, and he, he's talking about how to how to manage and administrate things in the church and making sure that people are cared for. And so he comes to, to verse 3 of chapter 5, 1 Timothy. He says, Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. 
But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone, here's the principle, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The word household here in 1 Timothy 5 is the same word that Paul is using in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, it's obvious from the context. You are smart people, and you, you can understand the difference here. In Ephesians chapter 2, he's talking about a spiritual family. And in 1 Timothy 5, he's talking about real, physical, earthly families. But I think there's a principle to understand here, friends. When we call each other family, when we call each other brother and sister, we must understand that to deny our own family makes us look like unbelievers. We're a household. We're brother. We're sister. We're family. This principle reveals that the first priority in one's life is to be upon his or her family, to care for them and to put their needs first. And by implication, friends, I think we need to understand that we, as spiritual brothers and sisters, are in God's family. Therefore, the responsibility that comes with being in this household is that we make his family our highest priority of care and devotion. That starts with our immediate family, but it, it certainly extends to our spiritual, extended, heavenly family. We're a household. We're a family. Do we treat each other that way? Do we devote our time? Do we devote our resources? Do we devote our love and affection? Do we devote our care and concern? Do we weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice because we're all in the same family? That's the responsibility of being a member in the church of Jesus Christ is that we care for one another as the household of God. Ask yourself today, do you give yourself to this family? as a member of this household? Are you willing to contribute? Are you willing to provide for it? Or are you neglecting this family? This family that you are a member of. This household that you are a part of if you are in Christ Jesus. Well, first we saw that being a member of, of Jesus Christ Church means that we're citizens. Secondly, we saw that it means that we're members of his household. And then, and then thirdly, we see that being a part of a member of the church of Jesus Christ means that y'all are a building. Y'all are a building. Let's look again, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You, friends, all of us together are a building. You're a building. And, and there's three things about this building. The first is that we have a specific design. We have a specific 
design, exact design and specifications of how this building will be built, and we see it right there. We are a building with Christ Jesus himself, verse 20, as the chief cornerstone. You know, there isn't anybody in this church that can make that claim. We have several pastors here. We have multiple elders, deacons, staff, uh, volunteers, people that are on this team to help us accomplish this mission. But there is one chief cornerstone, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he's not going anywhere either. That's the beauty of it. You can count on this cornerstone. He's not going anywhere. He's the faithful one. He's the true one. He's the righteous one. He's the holy one. He is our chief cornerstone. He is the one that the whole building depends upon. Well, he is the chief cornerstone, but there's also a foundation, and that foundation is the testimony of the apostles and the prophets. And really, all they're doing is they're talking about the cornerstone. But their, their message, their testimony that we stand upon, Jesus Christ being the cornerstone, is how this building is being built. And it's, it's got a specific design. Well, not only does this building, all of us, y'all who are a building, have a specific design, but this building grows. This building rises as each one of us individually puts faith in Jesus Christ. Again, verse 21, Ephesians 2. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. This building is growing. It's not a finished project, and it hasn't been finished for 2,000 years, but it's growing day by day by day. See, each of us is a stone, and you're a special shape. Some of you are really weird-shaped, but that's okay, because there's spaces for you in that ground, in that floor. And so Jesus, he saves you, and he puts you into the place that you should belong. And without you, the, the, the building just isn't complete. But each of us is a stone. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. We're built upon the foundation of the testimony of the apostles and the prophets. And each of us is growing. And each of us is a stone. And every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, a new stone is added to the building. You get enough stones and you got a new floor. And then you start another floor. And this building is rising and it's growing. Walt Disney said this. The founder of Disneyland. He said, Disneyland will never be completed. It will continue to grow as long as there is imagination left in the world. And if you've been to Disneyland, even one time, I'm sure you've gone and you've seen a wall or a fence or a sign or something that said, please pardon the pixie dust. We're working on something or something like that. But it's, it, it's fun because you're starting to scratch your head. Man, I wonder what they're doing now. And sometimes it's maintenance, but a lot of times they're improving something or changing something or doing something new because the park's never finished. And if you've been there twice, you go back and you see the fences are gone. You go, wow, that thing is new. That's really cool. But they got fences somewhere else because you know what? They're changing another part of the park and improving it and adding on to it. And if you've gone over multiple times over like multiple decades, man, you can really see They've done a whole lot of change since the day it was open to what it looks like now. Why? Because it was the philosophy of the founder of the park that this place is never complete. When people have new ideas and new imaginations, we're going to build and do new things at this place. It's never a finished project. And so it's the philosophy of the founder of this building to say, I'm never done until I come back. 
I'm adding new stones every day. I'm adding new floors all the time. Because as each person comes to faith in Jesus Christ, there's a new stone that fits in perfectly. Each of you has a shape. Jesus wants to put you in that place. He's got a place for you. Because this building is always growing. And it's always rising. That's the philosophy of this builder. Well, y'all are a building. That was bad, y'all. Y'all are a building that has a purpose. Has a purpose. Each building that's built, if, if you've ever been a part of building design, I, I've not, but I've, I've had enough experience in some of the materials and stuff to know that each building has a different purpose. Some buildings are designed for commercial use. Some buildings are designed for industrial use. And then some buildings are designed for residential use. And we have the purpose for what this building is. You see, in verses 21 to 22, we're given that purpose. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. And in him, you, in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You see, the purpose for this building is not commercial, it's not industrial, it's residential. God wants to take up residence amongst his people, and he does that through y'all. Y'all are the building. Y'all are the home, are his dwelling place. And generally speaking, this word for temple or dwelling, it had the idea of the abode of a deity, but specifically in the Bible, it's talking about God's abode, as in the temple of Jerusalem, as in God promised he would put his name on it and live there amongst his people, that that would be his dwelling place on earth where he would manifest himself to his people. And in the same way that the temple in Jerusalem was God's dwelling here on earth, so now he says, y'all are my building, y'all are my home, you are where I'm going to live. You're a residence. That's what it means to be a member of the church of Jesus Christ. It means that together we are a dwelling place for God to live with mankind. That place is his church. It's us. Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, he says, As you come to him, Jesus Christ, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, y'all, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But just like membership into this household has responsibilities just like citizenship in this new country has responsibilities so being God's dwelling place comes with responsibilities friends if we decide to close these doors of our hearts we decide to be not when we decide to be bitter and and self-centered and not hospitable and outgoing we're not being very good takers of the residence God is inviting so many to come and be a part of this growing building day by day. And we do that when we open up our lives to him and say, why don't you come and be a part of this great new building that God is building? Friends, the church is the most precious thing in all the world. Being a member of the church of Jesus Christ is one of the most thrilling things you could ever be a part of. If you don't believe me, just consider, just look at the price that was paid for the citizenship. Look at the price that was paid to get you in the family. Look at the price that was 
paid for this home for him to live in. It was the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And what's beautiful about this is that we don't have to go far away to enjoy this membership. We can enjoy it right here in Hercules, California. If you are in Christ, you are a member of the church of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you would think, you know what, maybe here, maybe at this local assembly, maybe I can find a way to behave as a citizen of the king. Maybe I could find a way to contribute and to provide for this household. Maybe I could find a way to help be a part of this building that's growing all the time that God wants to live in here in this community so that others would see that there's a dwelling place for God in their midst, and that's here. Maybe you could be a part of that. I want to encourage you. Be a part of it. Be a part of what's going on here. It's the greatest thing in all the world. Serve with us. Give with us. Commit with us. Be a part of this thing with us. It's the greatest thing in all the world. The health of, of our church, of your church, friend, is dependent upon you. Not the leaders, not the pastors. It's, it's on them too, but, but it starts with you. The health of Valley Bible Church is on you, friends. It will be no healthier than the collective health of each of its members. And friend, that's you. Are you behaving as a citizen? Are you contributing as a member of the household? Are you a part of this building project together? We're God's home. We're his dwelling, and he's growing us one person at a time. Will you be a part of this project? Will you conduct yourself as a citizen of his country? Will you carry your weight as a member of his household? Will you let Jesus join you together with you and me and others and those sitting around you and next to you, in front of you and behind you? Will you allow him to connect you together so that God's presence can be manifested in our community and this world? I think this is an appropriate text to think about as we start a new year. What does God want from me as a member of his church? Because friends, membership in this, this church is how he is building his church one member at a time, you and me and the next. Would you stand with me as we close? And I, I'd like to just try this just real briefly. I know a lot of us have been sick with the flu, so you don't have to hold hands or anything, but why don't we come across the aisles here, and let's just put a, let's just put a hand on each other's shoulders to show in a visible way that we're united, we're together, we're a family, we're in a, a country that's together, and we are a building that's joined together by Jesus Christ and we'll close in prayer. Go ahead. No, I promise. If anybody pinches you, you come tell me. All right? Let's join together, and let's just offer ourselves in prayer as the church of Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that we could be a part of the most precious thing in all the world, the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you that you've made us citizens of a new country thank you that you bought us so that we could be members of a new glorious family. And thank you that you've included us as living stones in this ever-growing building so that people would see that God is dwelling with mankind. Would you please use us today? Use us in our small groups. Use us in our avenues of service and kids ministry, youth ministry, seniors ministry, uh, agape ministry, uh, whatever we're about, Father, teach us to be a part of this family and to live in a way that says, I am a member 
of the church of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for this family. Help us to live as it. In Jesus' name, amen.